So this afternoon, we're going to learn about a danger that all of us believers face. It's a danger we face when we learn about the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's the first coming, and there's the second coming. You know, the first coming happened 2,000 years ago, when Jesus, who was fully God, took on human nature, took on a human body, sinless, was born of the Virgin Mary, grew up, and then died on the cross. And in dying on the cross, he was being punished for all the sins of all those who would put their trust in him so that we could be forgiven, completely forgiven by God and have the joy of knowing God, knowing him now and forever. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Then he rose from the dead, taught his followers, and then he ascended into heaven. That's the first coming. But Jesus taught that he would come again. He taught about the second coming, that he would come back and bring world history to a close. That everyone would be raised from the dead. And that he would judge every human being. Those whose sins have been forgiven through his death on the cross because they put their faith in Jesus. All those who were forgiven through Christ will be welcomed into heaven. But those who are still under the guilt of their sin because they did not trust Christ will be cast into hell. The second coming, which is going to change everything. When we learn about the second coming, some of us can face a danger. And that is that we get so focused on trying to figure out when it's going to happen. When will Jesus come back? Which events are showing that it's going to be happening? Who's the Antichrist going to be? What, how's it all going to unfold? We, we get so focused on trying to figure out when it's going to happen that we get distracted from doing what Jesus has called us to do before it happens. And that's a danger that Jesus' disciples were starting to fall into in Luke chapter 21. And we see Jesus refocusing them on what's most important. So let's turn to Luke 21. We're going to look at verses 5 through 19, and I want us to start with this question. What did the disciples want to know? Verse 5, let's start there. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, now pause right there. Here's what's going on. Jesus has been teaching right near the temple. Remember, it was just last week, wasn't it, that we talked about how he saw the, the one widow putting in all that she had. Remember that? So he's right there near the temple. He's been teaching, and, and some nearby start to talk about the beauty of the temple, the amazing stones, the, the offerings, just the grandeur of this temple. And let me give you a picture to show you what this looked like, the temple complex at the time of Jesus. There it is. Now, a little bit of background first. There's a couple different permutations of the temple throughout the Bible. Solomon built the first temple, amazing temple that he built back around a thousand years before Christ. And then God 
had Babylon destroy that temple, destroy Jerusalem, destroy that temple about 586 B.C. because of the sin of God's people. It was destroyed then. But remember, 70 years later, just like God had promised, God brought his people back from Babylon under Zerubbabel, and the temple was partially restored. Partially restored. Then Herod, around 100 B.C. or 10, 20, 30, 40 B.C., started to rebuild that temple and made this complex that you can see. Amazing, opulence, gold, incredible craftsmanship. People were in absolute awe. You can see how big it is. Can you see some of the little people in the courtyard? Just look at those little tiny dots. Those are people. To give you a sense of how big this is, the the tallest building there is 18 stories tall, about 50 meters by 50 meters. That's the main central temple building. This is an astonishing construction. Beautiful building. Spectacular. Dazzling. People talked about it, and there were some people right there next to Jesus who were talking about the amazing stones and the offerings. And look at what Jesus says in verse 6. As for these things that you see, the temple building, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. The day is coming when this massive, beautiful, spectacular building will be absolutely destroyed. So what did the disciples want to know when they heard that? Shocking. Big changes are going to be coming, obviously. This temple destroyed? What do they want to know? Look at verse 7. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? They wanted to know when. When's this going to happen? When's it going to take place? And what signs will we have to show us that it's coming near? Now, as we're going to see, Jesus does not answer that question, the question of when. But we can tell, as we carefully read this passage, that this is going to happen during the disciples' lifetimes. It's going to happen while they're still alive. This might be a new thought for some of you, but I want you to notice that if we read this passage carefully, we can see that the destruction of the Jerusalem temple is going to happen in their lifetimes. Look at verse 20. Remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Jesus is talking to his disciples right there. They're they're right around him. There's Matthew. There's Mary. There's Peter. So his disciples are right there. And he's saying, when you, you, Mary, Barnabas, when when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near, its destruction is happening. So the Jerusalem temple will be destroyed in their lifetimes. 
And that's exactly what happened. In AD 70, the Jewish historian Josephus writes at great length about what happened. It was a heartbreaking, horrifying thing. Rome came, surrounded, broke through the walls, flooded into the city, and slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Jews. Horrible, horrible bloodshed. And destroyed everything. It flattened everything except for three pillars from Herod's palace. They decided to leave those up so they could show people that's what it was. Look what we made it. Flattened. Completely destroyed. Just as Jesus had said. So here's what we're seeing so far in this passage. I want to kind of get the flow of thought of this passage. So here's a picture of the passage. In verses 5 through 7, the disciples are asking, exactly when will the temple be destroyed? We want to know when. That's their question, verses 5 through 7. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 8. How does Jesus respond to their question? He doesn't answer their question. Look at what he says, verse 8. And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, I'm the Messiah, and the time is at hand, second coming is here. Do not go after them. So he urges them, don't be led astray. You'll be tempted to be led astray. There will be false messiahs who come. Claim to be the Christ, that the end is, is near. Don't be led astray. There will be false messiahs. And, and we can see that's what happened from the day that Jesus spoke these words up until AD 70. There were false messiahs who came on the scene. And that's what's happened since AD 70. It's continuing on. And we need to take heed to this warning. Some of you in this room someday could be tempted to follow a false messiah away from Jesus Christ. Charismatic personality, you've waited long enough, maybe some false signs and wonders, who knows what it might be. Jesus is warning them not to be led astray, and he's warning us through this passage not to be led astray. Be careful. So pay attention to this warning. See, we'll see next week when Jesus does come back at the second coming, he's going to come in a blaze of glory in the clouds. Everyone will see it on the face of the earth from east to west. No one's going to not see it or have to hear about it. Like Jesus came and, and he's in Alain. No, no. When he comes back, everyone's going to see him. That's what we're going to see next week. One end of the sky to the other. A blaze of beautiful glory. Our Savior will be here. We will all know it at the same time. So, don't be led astray. That's the first response that Jesus gives. But he goes on. He says, don't be terrified about terrible things that will be happening in the world between now and when the temple is destroyed. Verses 9 through 11. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. 
It's frightening to hear about wars, isn't it? I mean, hearing about Russia invading Ukraine, it's like, whoa, what? Wars are frightening. They are. Some of you have experienced, you've lived through wars in Syria, right? I know we've had people here, maybe some of you from Ukraine. Some of you maybe have never, never been involved in a war. But when we hear about wars, rumors of wars, it's easy to become terrified, isn't it? But Jesus says, do not be terrified. Why? How on earth could somebody not be terrified at the prospect of war? Look at the reason Jesus gives. Do not be terrified for, here's the reason, because for these things must first take place. They must happen. Must, because God is in control. Because these wars are wars God is allowing as part of his plan, part of his purpose, leading up through history to the second coming. When wars take place, God is in complete control. He is not surprised. Wars are horrible events, but God is in control of everything and is purposefully allowing that to take place. So you don't need to be terrified when you hear about the possibilities of war. Because you've been forgiven through Jesus Christ. And you've been reconciled to God. And he will be with you. He will strengthen you. He will comfort you through any war that you face in these next decades. And any loss, any suffering that you experience because of the war, he will far more than make up for it with outpourings of his presence and his nearness to you. Three promises for every trial believers face. So you do not need to be terrified. God is in control. He's not lost control. He is in control. So next time you hear about a war breaking out, remind yourself, these things must take place. This is all part of God's plan. My Father, my loving, saving Father is in control. I can trust Him. And Jesus says that those are not the end, though. Did you catch that? They're not the end. The end will not be at once. So wars do not show that the end is near. Wars are going to be going on between when Jesus speaks these words and A.D. 70 and, and beyond. And that's what we have seen. So don't be terrified by wars. Keep reading in verse 10. Then he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, various places famines, and pestilences, that's diseases, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So earthquakes, famines, diseases, that's happened throughout history, right? Terrors, great signs from heaven. Remember, all these things are what's happening before the end. The disciples will experience them. They've happened all through history. I think these great signs in the heavens are probably things like shooting stars, eclipses, comets, that sort of thing. But don't be terrified by any of these things, not by earthquakes, not by famines, not by diseases. God is in control. 
This is a theme running through this whole passage. Don't be terrified. Don't be frightened. God's in control. So here's what the passage looks like so far. Verses 5 through 7, the disciples ask, exactly when will the temple be destroyed? And instead of answering their question, Jesus says, do not be led astray and do not be terrified by wars, famines, or earthquakes. It's not all that he says. What is Jesus' second response? Verses 12 through 19. Start with verse 12. But before all this, before even the, the wars start, like immediately, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This is before all this. So he's saying, Brothers, sisters, disciples, immediately there's going to start to be persecution. And you're going to be suffering for the gospel immediately. They're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to put you in prison, bring you before the authorities. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts just a few months later. Arrests, prison, persecution breaking out. So see, Jesus wants to prepare his disciples for what's going to happen. So that when the first one of them gets arrested, they're not saying, what happened? I thought Jesus was the Messiah. It's like, he is the Messiah. And he told us these things would happen. This is part of the plan. Trust him. Trust him. He's in complete control. That's why he's telling the disciples ahead of time. He doesn't want them to feel hopeless. doesn't want them to feel discouraged. Doesn't want us to feel hopeless. Doesn't want us to feel discouraged as that happens. All part of God's plan. Then verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. The reason this persecution is going to be happening is because it will open up more opportunities to proclaim Jesus, the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why they were arrested in the first place. They've been talking about Jesus, so then they'll just get a new audience to talk to People about Jesus. That's what's going on here. So Jesus wants them to understand. He wants us to understand. When you're persecuted, when you suffer for the gospel, don't be discouraged. Don't be shocked. Don't be disappointed. Jesus, in his love for us, has warned us. This is what will happen. This is what will happen. God's giving an opportunity to tell even more people about Jesus. Isn't that exactly what we see happening in the book of Acts? Read the book of Acts. It, just, it unfolds exactly as Jesus laid it out. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be brought before authorities. So, And Jesus knows this is going to raise a question in their minds. I'm going to be brought before authorities? What am I going to say? He knows that question's going to come up. Look at what he says in verse 15. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand. Some versions say, don't, don't practice beforehand how you're going to answer like you get this whole speech all memorized. I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Jesus' point is, don't worry ahead of time about what you're going to say. Don't worry. It's not that we should go in entirely unprepared. Read your Bible, pray, 
But Jesus will give you exactly what you need in that setting. He will give it to you. Don't be anxious. I'll never forget, a number of years back, six guys from our church in California were in a country where it was illegal to bring in Bibles, illegal to give Bibles to people. And so we went in, we had backpacks, we backpacked from little village to little village to little village. Um, backpacks were full of Bibles and Jesus DVDs. And it was an amazing time, uh, giving Bibles out to people and sharing the, the good news. Um, it all went well until the last day. I think somebody must have reported us, so we, we got taken into custody. So here's six guys. They treated us very well, very well, but they were not happy. They were definitely not happy with what we were doing. And they questioned each of us individually for a, a length of time. And I will never forget the youngest member of our team, a 16-year-old guy. This was incredible. So he's sitting there, maybe three or four or five police around him asking these questions. And, and they asked him this question, why would you spend your vacation and spend your money coming here to bring people Bibles? And it was awesome hearing him. He was completely at peace, completely composed, and he told them about Jesus. He would say, the Bible tells people who Jesus Christ is. The Bible has told me how to be forgiven for all of my sins, how I can be brought into relationship with God. I've come to know God through the Bible. There's nothing more important for any human being than coming to know God through Jesus. I want the people of your country to come to know God as I've come to know God through Jesus Christ. And they, they had nothing to say. They're, just, they're all writing this down word for word. It was interesting. One guy in one language, one guy in another language. It's very interesting. All, no computers. It's just amazing. But anyway, the presence of God was there. He was just shining with the glory of God, speaking about Jesus fearlessly, boldly, calmly. It was a beautiful thing. Just like Jesus promised, it happened. And then the next day, they, they drove us to the border and said, please do not come back, and they put us out of the country. So God did exactly as he said. And Christ was magnified, just like we sang tonight. That's the promise. God will give you exactly what you need to say. He's promised that. Don't worry. He'll give you what you need to say. Then verse 16. You'll be delivered up even by, this is heartbreaking, parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. Think of how heartbreaking it would be for your mother to report you to the authorities. Or for your sister, your best friend, to give your name to the police. Think of how heartbreaking that would be to have happen. But Jesus wants us to understand it will happen. It will happen. He's so kind, Jesus is. He's so loving to warn us about all these things ahead of time. It will happen. He's warning his disciples, and, and we face the same thing in, in some circles and some settings. He wants us to know so that if our family members abandon us, he wants us to be sure that he has not abandoned us. Because he told us that this was going to happen. He wants us to know that God is in complete control. Because it's happening just as he said. 
and he will be with us. He will be comforting us with his peace and his love if and when that happens. And then look at that last line. And some of you, they will put to death. I was just thinking, what, what did Jesus' face look like as he looked at his disciples? Peter, Miriam, John, and the care, the affection, the concern, the confidence, the strength. He just said, some of you, they will put to death. Just imagine your Lord saying that to a group of us. Some of you, they will put to death. That's what he said. And he tells them that, and he tells us that, so that when it happens, we will not be shocked. We will not be discouraged. So that the early church, when Stephen was stoned to death in the early chapters of Acts, oh, they were weeping. You know they were weeping. They were heartbroken as they should have been, but they were not discouraged. They were not hopeless. They were not thinking, I thought Jesus was the truth. They knew he was the truth because he had told them what would happen. Then look at verses 17 and 19. Verse 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. And that's puzzling. Jesus has just said, some of you they will put to death. But then he says, but not a hair of your head will perish. Okay, Jesus, what are you saying? What do you mean? We need to pay heed to, to questions like this that come up. What is he saying? I think the answer is in verse 19, where he says, By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, what does he mean by lives here? Does he mean your physical life? Or does he mean your eternal life? What does he mean? It can't mean physical, earthly life, because he's just said, some of you, they will put to death. They will. So he can't be talking about earthly, physical life here. He must be talking about eternal life. And when we look at that same verse, as it's described in Matthew 24, the same teaching there, Mark 13, the same teaching there, you'll see that the focus is eternal life. So here's what Jesus is saying. Some of you, they will kill. But even if they do, not a hair of your head will perish. Because the moment you die physically, you are in the presence of God. You have entered into eternal life at that point. Forever. Some of you, they will kill. But listen. Death is not the end. Death is the beginning. Not a hair of your head will perish. See, Jesus has a theme going through here of preparation of his disciples, warning them of what's going to happen, so that when these difficulties happen, they will say, Jesus was right. Jesus was right. He told us. He loved us. He's preparing us. God is in control of everything that happens. Revelation chapter 6 has an amazing passage in it. 
It's a picture of heaven. And those who've been martyred, those who've been killed for the gospel up to that point, are crying out saying, how long, O Lord, will you let this continue? How long? When will you avenge our blood in terms of what's happened, these deaths that have taken place? How long will you let this continue? And God's answer is astonishing. He says, until the full number of martyrs has been completed. In other words, what's happening on earth is under God's control. He's planned the number of martyrs that they're going to be because every martyr is going to give Christ glory. As they die saying, for me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Not a hair of this head is going to perish. I'm going home. Glory comes to Christ through that. Joy comes to them with that privilege. And God has an exact number of martyrs who will have that privilege to bring him that glory and experience that joy. So church, God is in control of everything that happens. Be at peace. Be at peace. Be secure. Be strong. Be at peace in him. That's a theme that's going through this whole passage here. So here's the picture of the passage up to this point. Verses 5 through 7, disciples ask exactly when will the temple be destroyed? Jesus does not answer that question. So he refocuses them on what's more important. Don't be led astray. Don't be terrified by wars, famines, or earthquakes. Instead, expect persecution, endure suffering, and share the gospel. Preach the gospel. That's what I want you doing between now and when I come back. Preach the gospel. Tell your friends about Jesus. Sow the seed. That's what he's calling us to do. That's what he's calling them to do. So brothers, sisters, what does this mean for us here at Grace Church? What does this mean? First of all, notice the disciples wanted to know when this was going to happen. Jesus is not answering that question. He's saying, trust me, I'm in control of everything. Preach the gospel. He refocuses their attention. Some of you maybe are in the danger, or some of you are facing the danger, or some of you will face the danger of being swept up and trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen when. And Jesus, I think, would want to refocus you, saying, I've got it all under control. It is going to happen. Preach the gospel. Endure suffering. Preach the gospel. Trust me. Trust me. He wants to say to us, don't be led astray. Again, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be in a blaze of glory shining from east to west, which everybody on planet Earth will see all at once. You will know he's back. (laughs) He will be back. You'll know. Don't be terrified by famines, or earthquakes or wars. I was just thinking about this. We, Church, we need to be realistic about what Jesus said would happen between now and the second coming. Like I, I love my home country, the U.S. So thankful for the principles God has allowed it to be built upon. I love my country. I pray for my country. But Jesus is warned about wars and rumors of wars. So 
I hope this would not happen, but if, if the U.S. was attacked and conquered, I'd be weeping, I'd be heartbroken. But I, I, I hope I wouldn't be shaken. It's like, whoa. See, the U.S. is not my home. It's my home country, maybe, put it that way, but Jesus is my home. Jesus is your home. Heaven is our home. Unshakable. So let's, let's, let's be understanding about what could happen and not be shaken if hard things do happen. Let's take Jesus' words to heart. Take them to heart. Don't be afraid. Don't be surprised by persecution, he says. Endure suffering when it comes, he says. And above all, share the gospel. This is what every believer is called to do between now and the second coming. Now next week, we're going to look at the second half of this teaching, and we're going to start, we'll see what he says about the second coming. This has been talking about the time leading up to AD 70, which applies to us as well. Next week, we'll talk about the second coming. But let me focus this on this issue of sharing the gospel. We are all called to do this. And some of you are like way super advanced, and others of us were just kind of like taking baby steps, okay? The point is, let's all be growing in this. I want to encourage you all, take baby steps, we want to do all we can here at Grace Church to help you. Oh, the Lord wants to use each one of us in meeting people who don't know the Lord, befriending those who don't know the Lord, sharing the good news of Jesus with those who don't know the Lord, especially in this country where the needs are so massive in terms of thousands of people around us who've never heard anything of the truth of Jesus. And one of the main ways we pursue this at Grace Church is through our home groups. So I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a home group, become part of a home group. Home groups, it's a community of believers who meet together, study the scriptures together, laugh together, weep together, pray together, get trained in evangelism together, and do events like dinners or game nights or parties where we invite our friends who don't know the Lord to come so that we can meet each other's friends and, and get to know each other's friends and have opportunities to share the gospel. And in our home groups, we work on how to share your testimony so that you can share your testimony of salvation with lost people. We help you learn how to share the gospel so that you can clearly explain the truth of Jesus and his beautiful death on the cross to people that you meet. We talk about how to meet people, how to answer objections, how to answer questions. We, we work on this together as a home group, and then we pursue this together, and God has used the home groups and used these gatherings to see people brought to faith in Christ. And it'll help you to be around a community of believers where we're, we're all working on this, and, and we're all trying to overcome our fear and our timidity, and we all are working this, we're praying for each other, and we're growing in this, and it is happening. So if you're not part of a home group, join a home group. And if you are part of a home group, be part of that home group. Be there. Throw your life in with these brothers and sisters and love them and encourage them and pray for them and be trained with them and advance the gospel with them. Church, 
Jesus Christ is coming back. The day is absolutely certain. It is set. It will happen. And what he wants us doing between now and then is sharing the gospel. That's why we're still here. That's why he hasn't come back yet. More to be saved. More to be saved. More to be saved. He is coming back. And before he comes back, he wants us to be sharing the gospel. Let's take steps towards sharing the gospel. For our joy and for his glory. Let's stand together. I want to pray. Lots to think about from this passage, Father. We praise you that you are in complete control of everything, anything that happens. We love you, Jesus, for your care for us, that you would warn us ahead of time about what will take place. You didn't play games. You didn't pretend. You told the truth because you love us, and we thank you for that. Oh, Lord, help us take your call seriously. We all struggle. We can be timid. We can be fearful. Lord, help us. I pray that those who are not yet part of home groups would join a home group. I pray that you'd strengthen those who are already in home groups and that you would use our home groups this summer to advance the gospel, that we would see people brought to faith in Christ this summer in our home groups. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.